This is the Weather Lounge here at Weatherworks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Weather Lounge. I'm your host, meteorologist Mike Mahalik, and it's time to kick back, relax, and talk about the weather. In particular, winter weather and the potential for more cold and snowstorms later in February and into March. Now, while I could sit here and talk all about the upcoming pattern, we thought it would be best if we bring in a member of our long-range team here at Weatherworks, and that is meteorologist Kyle Leahy. Kyle, welcome to the Weather Lounge. Hey, Mike. It's always good to be here. <laughs> yeah. Don't sound too excited, yeah. Kyle. Now, come on. <laughs> yeah. We're talking about cold and snow. Um, are you ready to talk about those things in the discussion? Yeah, I mean, we haven't really in like probably three weeks. So, <laughs> and probably for the next, I'd say like five, five days, it's going to be super quiet. So, right. Well, before we get into the outlook, Kyle, um, I wanted to take a quick break. And then on the other side of the break, we're going to answer all of your big storm questions coming up here for the second half of winter. And it looks like it's going to be quite favored for some more snow. So please don't go away. Hey, everyone, it's Mike Prianti from the Weather Lounge here. And let me tell you, dehydration is no joke. I went through it myself once, and it's not fun. You get headaches, muscle spasms, cramps, the whole nine yards. But proper functional hydration is essential for just about everyone. Sometimes, though, water may not be enough, and that's where Liquid IV comes in. They're the number one powdered hydration brand in America, and their hydration multiplier is something you're most likely missing in your daily routine. You don't even have to be a sports professional to enjoy it either. With just one stick, you can hydrate twice as fast than using water alone. It has three times the amount of electrolytes than leading sports drinks, it's made from non-GMO ingredients, and it's chock full of essential vitamins. I personally enjoy the passion fruit flavor, but there are other great refreshing flavors you can choose from as well. So whether you're out landscaping, plowing a parking lot in a snowstorm, heading out for that afternoon jog, or even just feeling run down, Liquid IV is your go-to source for all hydration and wellness. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code WEATHERLOUNGE, capital W, capital L, at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code WEATHERLOUNGE at liquidiv.com. Welcome back to the Weather Lounge. I'm meteorologist Mike Mahalik, and I'm here with long-range meteorologist Kyle Leahy. And Kyle, before we get started, I know you aren't alone working on all of these long-range outlooks from the winter all through summer. So let's give a quick uh, quick shout out to who's helping you out on these. Yeah, no, it's um, it's uh, Kevin Winters. Yeah, he's definitely a uh, he's definitely a big help. Uh, for sure. Uh, he's a smart dude. He definitely knows what he's talking about. So it's really nice to be able to work with him on this stuff. Yeah, it's it's nice that you guys team up on this and that you could kind of keep each other in check and not one person getting too crazy with going, oh my gosh, it's going to yeah, be, yeah. you know, uh, big blizzards. And, and on the other end, wait, let's hold up a bit because yeah, we got yeah, a couple yeah. of things we got to look at from. So it's nice that you guys can collaborate on that um, mm -hmm. and come out with some really excellent long-range outlook. So um, anyway, so let's get started here, uh, Kyle, um, with what's going to happen for the rest of the season here in winter. But before we mm -hmm. do that, I want to talk a little bit about 
what happened in December, why it was on the mild side, and what changed in January. So if you don't mind, let's go through that for our listeners. And we'll have graphics um, on our YouTube. This will be a YouTube video too. So um, if you want to see those graphics and 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 maps and what Kyle's talking about, visit our YouTube channel at Weatherworks. Just search for us. Um, but, you know, on our podcast, you know, you won't have that benefit, but we'll do our real best to explain all of this for you. Yeah. So in terms of December, it, I think I think it might have been probably I, I think it was the warmest December on record for the U.S. I could be wrong. Uh, yeah. if, if it's not, it's very close. Um, but the main reason for that is you have this like massive high pressure system. Uh, well, uh, sorry, low pressure system over Alaska. Okay. And what that does is it pretty much just funnels in all of this air from the Pacific Ocean right into uh, kind of like the northern plains. It's it's it it's really the only pattern. Yeah, and you get this nice high here. And mm. the it, it's it's really the only pattern that can make the entire United States uh, warm. Like a lot of the time, if we're warm here, a lot like you know like uh like the Rockies might be really cold. This is an example of just there's no snow anywhere. Like, like everybody is just roasting. Uh, so it's probably the worst pattern that you could have. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so it, this yeah. is what you don't want if you're a snow <laughs> yeah. lover, that's yep. for sure. Um, but how did things start changing as we head into January? Cause we did see um, some snowier times and colder times too. Um, as we head into even the later in the first week of January into the mid, mid, mid portion of the month, excuse me. Yeah, exactly. So pretty much uh, the issue is that, yeah, so when you have that jet extending, luckily what happens most of the time is that it'll it'll kind of back off a bit, mm. you know, ba back into like the Central Pacific. And you're able to get like a nice area of high pressure right over Alaska instead of in, in like instead of that low pressure, which is really detrimental to everything. Mm -hmm. Also, what was going on at the same time was you were getting a lot of weakening of the polar vortex. Um, you might think, oh, you would want a strong polar vortex if you want it to be cold down mm. here. But it's actually the, the other way around. It's the equivalent of like if you're um, it's like a spinning top um, and it's really stable when it's spinning quickly, which is what the polar vortex usually does. But if the so, top isn't spinning that fast and it's weaker, it's able to wobble around and get disrupted and spill colder air farther south. Right. So for for people at home, <laughs> of course, everybody's at home, right? Or, or wherever you are listening to this uh, podcast yeah. or viewing this video. But um, when it's strong, it keeps that cold air locked up around the pole, correct? Yeah, yeah exactly. So, yeah, that's why you don't want it. And what mm -hmm. Kyle's talking about, once that breaks up, pieces of it can kind of fall into the northern portion of the United States or over into Europe, depending on how it all, you know, shakes out um, yeah. during that breakup process. But, yep. um, exactly. but so, yeah, Kyle, so yeah, you talked about how the jet stream kind of pulled back a little mm -hmm. bit in January. Um, what's an example of how it looked before that retraction? Um, yeah, so... Yes, I mean, pretty much before that, you really just had like that that big low pressure beforehand. Right, and, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's kind of what we were dealing with in December. And then when the jet retracts, you're able to get that nice high, replace it. And this kind of black line that we're showing here is instead of the jet stream kind of doing mm -hmm. 
uh, oops, uh, one sec, <laughs> instead of beforehand where it's kind of just flooding the U.S. more or less, right. you're able to kind of get to something that looks more like this, where you actually end up getting air from the Arctic right up here, and it gets sent back down. So that's why you've got that big Arctic outbreak uh, in like the Northwest and the Plains. Um, yeah. It's pretty much from displacing that polar air, which just literally just was not possible in December. Um, so this is actually a pattern that's a bit more typical of like a La Nina winter, uh, which is, uh, which is a bit, which is, you know, was a bit odd when mm. we were seeing it, but these, you know, like every winter is different and you can't really, um, like, like, uh, just kind of put one in a box. Like there can be things that look a bit odd, um, especially with this much blocking. So right. by blocking, I mean, just the, um, like this big area of high pressure up in Greenland. Which we'll also get to later because that's one of the reasons why February is looking more interesting. Um, you know, it's a bit atypical for how early in the year it was, but mm -hmm. it was definitely like a complete 180 from what from what we were seeing in December. So, yeah, and I think it's an important note that when we're making, when Kyle and and uh, Kevin are making these long range outlooks, they have to look at what's going on across the entire northern hemisphere um to see where these upper level waves are are moving across uh, the united states and, and and where they're crossing asia and how it's affecting the entire global pattern basically mm -hmm. yeah. um so that's why it gets really difficult when somebody asks you in october hey we gonna get a big blizzard this year well there's a lot that goes into it. We can kind of narrow down a time range when it's most favorable yeah. to give you that exact date. Very, yeah. very difficult to do. Yeah. Um, but, you know, recently we've been a little bit milder, uh, Kyle, but it does look like things uh, will be changing here and pretty soon also. Yeah, exactly. So just quickly going through why why we're so mild because it does actually have a you know there there's a little bit of a parallel to what happened in december mm. so looking at all of this this is basically just the pacific jet stream more or less like like that like this large band of your reds and you know you know reds and oranges uh so you have this pacific jet that's pretty much just like cutting right through the southwestern united states and it's just flooding most of the country with warm uh mm. it's again not not what you want uh if you want it to be very snowy. Um, and then if we kind of look a bit closer to home, looking here, this is basically showing what's called an omega block. Uh, the reason why it's called an omega block is because if you kind of trace the way the wind is moving, it sort of looks like the Greek letter. You get these two areas of low pressure here, right? You have one near California, which is responsible for all the rain that they're getting. Right. Uh, and then you have, you actually have two, you have one near Florida, and then you have another one near Nova Scotia. And then there's just a large, just sprawling high pressure system over Southeast Canada, uh, which is the reason why it's so quiet and so dry here. Um, these can kind of stick around for a little while, but luckily we're going to see things break up a little bit once we get, you know, like further. Uh, I, I would honestly say like probably by like the 12th to 15th, it looks yeah, I was just going to mention it already looks like heading into that time period and right before or around Valentine's Day, it's starting to look a little bit more favorable. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so explain what we're seeing there and 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 why we're seeing that uh, storm potential. Yeah. So looking back at the at the Pacific jet stream, mm. so instead 
instead of having this, you know, just just like this onslaught of Pacific air, similar to what happened in December, you're going to actually see that Pacific jet instead of, you know, remaining quite strong there. You get a lot of that like excess jet energy kind of just leaving. Um, and instead, most of the jet is located in the central Pacific Ocean, hmm. which is pretty much like where it should be generally with these winters. And what will happen, especially later into the month, is you'll get a lot of low pressure forming like right around here, more or less, like kind of like in this area, which is called the Aleutian Low, named after the little islands, um, just kind of like, I I think they're part of Alaska, I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure. sure. Um, yeah, I, I think so. Um, <laughs> but pretty much what happens near Valentine's Day is that thanks to the Pacific Jet retracting, you end up having like a nice area of high pressure forming over the West Coast, which is generally a bit better for us. You have high pressure forming in Southeast Canada. So that kind of stops systems from just kind of plowing northward into it. And you also have low pressure starting to form in the Northern Atlantic. So that's like a bit of a precursor to getting all of that high pressure into Greenland. You kind of need this to be forming first. Uh, not all the time, but it's one of the main uh, mechanisms there's really one of two ways and this is really the second one i guess yeah and uh in the weather community we call that the 50 50 low correct yes yeah 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 yep pretty much uh or it, it, named for the area oh. of uh longitude and latitude it typically sets up at yeah exactly um and then we have this nice trough of low pressure forming kind of like over the over the plains mm -hmm. and it's really just a matter of like how everything sort of comes together. Like you have this one piece of energy that's situated kind of in Southeast Canada, that's everything. You have this other little wave here in South Central mm -hmm. Canada. And then you have like the main wave of interest, I guess, over kind of like the Four Corners region. And then we just kind of track it forward a little bit. We'll see how everything kind of moves and interacts. So you have that wave now, that kind of front runner, basically just tracking out, out to sea. And then you have those, that kind of southern piece and that northern piece interacting in some way. How they interact is going to determine um, really kind of what ends up happening. Um, it does look like there's going to be some sort of storm system. Um, if this northern piece here that we were talking about is a bit stronger, or if these two pieces here don't mingle so well, like for example, um, if this if this piece kind of near like um, like Illinois runs out a bit ahead of this piece here, then everything could just be a bit disjointed and you really get a very strong storm. It could just be quite weak. Mm. Um, but if these interact like we're seeing here, you could get a pretty potent storm uh, that'll mainly I would say right now favors kind of north of I-84. So kind of more like a new like, you know, like a New England deal, you know, probably interior considering the air mass that we're working with isn't so great. It's really the one leading into it is the one that we're in now. So right. you don't have a ton of cold air to work with, but it's definitely, it's definitely nothing to sleep on. I, I mean, I, I would say if you're kind of like New York city northward, it's definitely something to watch. Um, so hopefully it could be a nice little appetizer for later on. Right. So we do have this threat around uh, Valentine's day um, mm -hmm. or a little bit before, um, but that's not quite into the most favorable portion uh, of the late season uh, that we're kind of eyeing up here. Yep. Um, so why don't we go into that a little bit more, although we might get something around early Valentine's Day or just before. Um, mm -hmm. What's more favorable as we head into mid-February and into even early March? 
Yeah. So there are really a few things that are going on here that are worth watching. So you again have this uh, pretty nice trough that we were talking about earlier. And then you have this area of low pressure in the Northern Atlantic. And if we track that farther in time, you could see if you kind of just trace both of those, you could see how they kind of almost just become one very, mm. very, very strong low pressure system over the North Atlantic. And what that does a lot of the time is it'll basically just bring all of this warm air right into Greenland. You can also see a nice high starting to form near Scandinavia. A lot of the time what happens with these highs is they end up kind of tracking back or uh, retrograding, which is when instead of systems moving west to east, they actually move east to west, uh, which does happen sometimes. So just looking towards the Atlantic, if we kind of see what happens there, you could see how you get this really, really, really strong uh, high pressure forming over Greenland, which uh, is commonly referred to as a negative NIO, uh, Northern Atlantic Oscillation. You might see something like that you know, on, on like Twitter, social media. That's pretty mm -hmm. much what that means when you have a lot of high pressure near Greenland and you have lower pressure kind of more towards, you know, just like the Northern Atlantic. Um, so right. it's, a, it, it, it's a pretty anomalous signal. This range. And that's the, you know, blocking that we like to see uh, if we're looking for a big East Coast storm. Yes. Yep, exactly. Um, I would say out of all of like the main features. So, for example, you also have this Alaskan Ridge mm -hmm. um, and the main flow of this pattern, which is why it's quite good, is because if you just follow the flow here, it's pretty much right out of the Arctic, more or less. So you have a nice air feed uh, to tap into. But yeah, as as you were mentioning, yeah, that that big Greenland high is probably the biggest uh, precursor to like larger East Coast storms. Uh, it's you can get a larger like you can get like a maybe like a six to eight inch storm with that one. But if 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 you're talking about anything over like a foot, really from New York City southward, uh, Boston can just kind of get larger storms because they have the latitude to do so. Um, but if, if you're New York City south, especially in the mid-Atlantic, you really need this big high. Um, and it's, uh, it is a pretty mm -hmm. nice signal that we're seeing. Right, exactly. And that's one of the, like you said, that's one of the hallmarks of getting into a good storm pattern yeah. for the East coast. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure how much that, now, how much that, does that affect, uh, the Midwest having that blocking high there? Are, are they in the same situation or a little bit different? Um, so for the Midwest, uh, the reason why El Nino winters are really not very great for the Midwest is because you're really kind of stuck between this, like this, uh, this big high pressure, this ridge here, mm -hmm. and that low. So a lot of the time, um, this is a pretty suppressive area. You don't really get it's it's it, it's really difficult to get very good low pressure forming in this kind of area. It, it's it's near impossible, really. Um, so I wouldn't like completely like rule something out because what's, what's interesting about this pattern, one of the, one of the other reasons why it's really favorable is because if you kind of follow what the Pacific jet is doing, you could pretty much visualize the Pacific jet running along like, like here, like this way under this big low. Mm -hmm. And then you have this, all this high pressure to the North and this is what's called split flow. So you pretty much just have a lot of these really moist waves traveling, you know, into the southwestern U.S. And then they can meet up with these kind of drier, 
uh, but potentially potent, uh, what we call northern stream waves because they're from the polar jet or the north. And they kind of meet up potentially in like the Mississippi River Valley. So it's uh, it can be quite stormy. Um, but with the Midwest, they're really just kind of limited to just kind of clippers. Basically. Yeah, so it looks like they get those weaker disturbances or mm -hmm. when the southern stream is meeting the northern stream. And then that doesn't really mature until it gets more towards the east coast. Yeah. So yep. it's meeting over the Midwest, and then it matures as it goes off the East Coast and up the Eastern Seaboard into uh, Eastern Canada. So, you know, that's why they're kind of stuck in limbo a little bit mm -hmm. um, in this sort of pattern. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Kyle, I, I know, you know, this is the the pattern that we're really keying on, and obviously like you said, it, it looks like a good setup for more cold and snow. How yeah. long do you think this pattern is going to last? Yeah. So what's interesting about this pattern is that I don't think that it's going to be kind of like a one and done, like we had to deal with in mid January where we did have a pretty strong Greenland high, but it actually, um, it actually transitioned to a vortex probably within, um, or just a strong low pressure instead probably in the span of like a week, which is pretty impressive. Mm. Um, but given the fact that, as we were talking about earlier, uh, the polar vortex up in the stratosphere is going to become extremely weak again. And it'll do something called coupling or just, you know, becoming in sync with the really weak polar vortex that we're seeing now, like where, where we are, or like the troposphere, kind of just like lower in the atmosphere. So when those two are in sync, the stratosphere and the troposphere, um that's when you have blocking that's stable and is able to kind of reload a bit more so i could see blocking really just kind of ebbing and flowing until mm. really like the first or second week of march instead of just being like a week to 10 days it always seems to me too that when these really strong blocks happen these, these big strong greenland highs and ridging and stuff like that it seems once it gets there and it's really strong mm -hmm. It just takes some time in order for that to break down. It's not something you just kind of get rid of in a week. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, but I, you brought up a good point about, um, you, we always hear the polar vortex in the media. And I don't know if we touched upon this earlier, but um, maybe some people think that, hey, if there's a strong polar vortex, that's good for us. But it's really not, correct? Yeah. It's the opposite. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So this is a pretty good example. This, this is actually probably a textbook example of like a, a very weak polar vortex. So just like really across the entire Arctic, you just have a massive high pressure system, more mm -hmm. or less. I mean, it's kind of stronger north of Alaska, like around here and then near Greenland around here. But it just displaces all of this cold air. And you can see there's like one, two, three strong areas of low pressure. This, yeah. this here... This one is like kind of just a lobe of the polar vortex in and of itself. You can actually, uh, there's a better way to visualize this. Um, just kind of looking at, instead of um, like the height lines themselves are just, you could just kind of look uh, look at this. So you can actually see here, all of these blues really, I think we can head back and see how compact it is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So this here, all these kind of whites and purples are the polar vortex. That's pretty much where it is. It's settled right over the pole. But as we head further into time, you can see how it just kind of ends up becoming a lot more kind of disturbed and stretched. And it actually gets like completely displaced and warped. Mm. And that's how you like it really ends up like over here. It goes from like here and it just gets completely squashed by that big high. 
So that's why the highs are important too, those big blocks, because they end up displacing the polar vortex. You could also see how it gets displaced out here. Mm -hmm. So instead of going from one compact feature, when it's weak, it's able to, you know, get colder air farther south because it's spreading into all these lobes. Gotcha. Yeah, and and you can obviously, you know, see how that's progressing. So, mm -hmm. you know, we have the good pattern, you know, we have disruption of the polar vortex here. Um, so Kyle, I mean, let's talk. I mean, everybody wants to know when when there's a big storm potential, when that could happen. We're kind of getting in that range where we can give ourselves a, a little bit of a time frame of mm -hmm. where we expect um, that to happen. So when will it be most favorable? Yeah, so um, this is probably something else that's somewhat counterintuitive. Um, but ironically, the the time frame where, where you do get those large storms is not actually when the block is the strongest. It's actually when it's weakening. So right now, this is around the 20th. You could see how these reds are, you know, like it's it's really popping out. Over like Greenland. Like, yeah. yeah. So this is a very, very strong block. But the polar vortex is really, um, you can see it outlined. It's really like right over here. So it's really difficult to actually get a very strong storm because, I mean, even if you do get some moisture that's running up into it, it's really not going to go anywhere. It's difficult to amplify something. But what will happen is that you'll see the block generally weaken, which again, you might think, oh, that's not great. Like, don't you want it to be strong? But when it weakens, you could see how the polar vortex, a lot of that cold, colder air, it starts to kind of lessen a little bit. The flow becomes a lot less compressed, so you're able to kind of push things into it. And along with that, what's also kind of worth noting is that you, like, you also, in the Pacific, you have this very strong low here that's forcing a lot of air um just kind of this 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 by the way isn't the same as what was happening in december um and what's happening now because there is that blocking so this actually is able to provide moisture a lot of people might think oh the pacific jet is just kind of roaring but it's it's not exactly mm. the same um but so what that'll do is that that'll actually back up a little bit so you can watch as we move forward in time that low pressure starts to retreat more towards the aleutian islands and instead, it's replaced with this nice ridge that's starting to pop up along the West Coast. So you have the block that's starting to weaken. You have the ridging that's starting to pop up along the West Coast. Mm -hmm. And if you follow here, if you look along the East Coast, you could see how you have these um, like right along like the coast of the Carolinas. As you head towards the 20th, 21st, 22nd, you can see how there's a bit of a signal here for low pressure to strengthen. So yeah. all of that really kind of tracks like a lot of the time uh, with those uh, slow moving decaying blocks. Uh, you could think of examples like uh, March of 2018. There was February of 2021. Um, I mean, there was even last March. Uh, I know a lot of people along the coast didn't get a ton of snow from that, but that was a really extreme storm in some parts of New England. I know some parts of like the you know hills near Worcester got like two feet of snow from that. That was another block that was retrograding and decaying. So I would say probably between like really like I'd say maybe like the 22nd to 25th, 26th is when you get that block weakening and you get a little bit of high pressure along the West Coast. And that's when you're able to actually get a storm to really strengthen. All right. Well, there you have it. Towards the end of the month, it looks like we're going to be uh, potentially dealing with a larger storm. But again, we need those individual storm pieces to come into um, alignment, I yeah. should say. Um, yeah. And that's always the trick of these things. But 
it's step one is having a great pattern in mm -hmm. place to see a big snowstorm and that's what we're seeing um from what kyle has explained um yeah. as we head towards later in the month now we still have some snow potential heading into march too yeah i think so so just looking at the pattern again so this is the 25th so you can see again how that block uh, up towards greenland it gets quite a bit weaker mm -hmm. but you can almost see it trying to kind of you know ebb and flow and reload a little bit so like this block is actually very stable it remains there for quite a long time like this is into march 8th at this point so this is you know end of the first week second week of march and this low pressure near the aleutian islands remains there mm. uh, and it's quite a bit weaker so you so you also don't run the risk of any pacific jet kind of overwhelming the pattern you have a nice high kind of staying along the west coast uh, just a broad trough in the east um right. and this yeah so like a lot of the time like I, I I might not be so inclined to believe this uh, if the polar vortex wasn't so weak, but it is. So it's definitely something plausible. Um, I I would honestly even go as far to say that when that blocking does reload, uh, you probably do have another window for a larger storm sometime in early March, like probably like around the end of the first week somewhere in there. It would wouldn't be surprising at all. Hmm. Um, so I think that's also historically speaking a pretty decent time early march for like some larger storms just generally so right. it's certainly a possibility but i i i i don't think it's going to be a one and done so like even even if you do miss out on that first window there's probably going to be another opportunity or two like it's not you don't just have one crack at it right well, that's good to hear. And I know this is setting up to some of the analogs that you've been looking at too, yeah. uh, where it does look similar to years when there has been uh, a bigger storm or two. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Uh, that's probably one of the ways that, I mean, one of the ways that we even know that those larger blocks that are you know decaying even produce storms is just by looking at what's happened in the past. And mm -hmm. that's definitely one of the main features. Uh, so just kind of zooming out a little bit to you know the rest of the Northern hemisphere, um and then looking at just kind of like the, like the 30-day average um so this is from like mid-february through mid-march so the main features of the pattern here that we're looking at you have this big Aleutian low you have a nice broad trough that's centered kind of over that 50 50 region that uh that mike was talking mm -hmm. about and you have a nice high over greenland this is a very strong high for like a 30-day mean that's very impressive and you have a nice high that's poking into alaska so like the main flow is generally something like this along these lines something like that and then you also have this nice subtropical jet that's very active hmm. so this is a very good look for really just cold and cold and active rather than just cold so just kind of keep that in the back of your mind and then we'll kind of look at some other years so this is um this was uh 1958 um, this was, I think, Mike, we were considering this one, but it was too old to include with the temps because right. you don't want to skew them too low. Um, but again, you have the same kind of deal. You have that big low uh, near the Aleutians. Right. You have another low along kind of, you know, along the Atlantic. You have a nice high in Greenland. You have a nice high in Alaska. Um, so at 1958, this was around the time when this produced one major storm in late February. There was another storm in late March. Um, mm -hmm this is um this is 2016 so this is mid to late january of 2016 again very similar Aleutian low large trough arctic is very blocked up yeah uh, 2016 was of course the january 16 blizzard 
Um, and then this was um, early February of 2010. So again, uh, the blocking is a bit more focused into Greenland. It is very, very, very strong. I don't think the blocking is going to get quite as strong as this, but honestly, right. you can't exactly preclude it. Um, some of the blocking showing up like on some of the guidance is actually this strong. Um, and 2010 is one of those analogs that makes the hair on some people's neck stand up a little bit. Um, <laughs> you can't exactly expect anything like that because right. that was record-breaking. Sure. Um, but again, you have a lot of the same features. You have that same Pacific trough. You have the Atlantic trough. Yeah. You have the strong blocking. So it's like... So all, the, all of the maps that he's showing is... And then you look back... Are and, very similar to what the pattern looks like on some long-range modeling um so yeah. it's it's you know one of those time periods where you can be a bit more confident on seeing you know a major storm or two um within this window from from late february into you know early early to mid-march maybe so yeah um it definitely looks like things are changing here that's for sure um yeah. you know kyle i think after mid-march things pretty much relax is what i think you were talking about earlier before we started this right mm -hmm. yeah yeah exactly so like at a certain point that blocking is going to dissipate mm -hmm. uh, we were actually thinking that march is going to be quite a warm month um mm. but one of the other things that was in the back of our mind too was it's definitely possible that february could be quite blocky so when you do have that blocking it likes to linger so yep. but like on the whole with el ninos especially stronger ones yeah, March is generally quite toasty. I could see the like last ten days of March being quite warm, and then if you look towards April, these are um these are years that are comparable to this one. So you have like 2010, you have 1973, 2003, 2016. It's generally quite warm. I mean, yeah. the Pacific Jet usually is quite active during these times. Uh, we're also going to be transitioning into a La Nina probably. Uh, the forecasts aren't particularly reliable at this point in time, but there's pretty high confidence on it. A lot of the time, La Ninas. They're quite warm, uh, especially, you know, like in the summer, they're known for their warm summers generally. So once we get into April, I, I don't I don't see why it wouldn't be quite warm. I mean, uh, uh, especially in the northern tier of the country, in the Midwest, there really isn't um, there really isn't that much evidence to the contrary, uh, for sure. And it would definitely obey Climo as well. So hmm. I don't see a reason why uh, I don't really see a reason why blocking would stick around for that long as to like ruin April or anything like that. Because I know that's happened over the last few years. I don't really see it. All right, Kyle. Well, I think that pretty much sums everything up for us. Um, and I really do appreciate you, um, you know, being on the video here with us today in the podcast talking about uh, what can happen here towards the end of the winter season. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I feel like a lot of this stuff, it's a lot better to actually talk and explain it because sometimes uh, you can have people that are bringing up years like 2010, 2016 and whatnot. And yeah, it's just it's just important to stress um, because this can kind of go either like unspoken or kind of unheard is that it's like you yep. can have these very good patterns and it's not it's, it's never a guarantee that they'll produce a major storm. But there this this is the type of pattern where it's a possibility like there are patterns where there is just no shot in hell that you could ever <laughs> see something that significant it's just not going to happen right um, but it's worth like mentioning that there's the possibility here like it, it it would almost be kind of like foolish to just not bring those kinds of years up because they're actually applicable um but yeah i just you know you wouldn't want anyone kind of 
watching this and leaving with the takeaway that like we're going to get like a blizzard or something because it's not that simple right but the potential is 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 there yeah but basically the groundwork is laying laid down here that yeah it looks like a good setup to when these big storms happen and we yep. just need to see if all those pieces can come together um but this is step one of the process so yep. um there you have it guys so you know heading into mid to late february into early to uh, mid march uh looks like it's going to be more opportunities for uh, snowstorms and possibly a bigger snowstorm so kyle thanks a lot here for being on the weather lounge with us um and giving us the rundown yeah of course <laughs> all right and remember we'll have a new episode of our podcast every two weeks and also visit weatherworksinc.com that's where our parent company weatherworks uh, is located to learn about what they do in the snow and ice industry and in the forecast uh, realm of things and also uh, be sure to rate the show um, it always helps to push the sh show forward and to get more weather enthusiasts to find our show so thanks for listening everyone and we'll be with you soon Thank you.